Um, yeah, so this is exciting, isn't it? A new year, lots of good stuff happening. Um, we are, so yeah, the subject of today is the goodness of God. And I, I've put a, a sub uh, title of establishing a bridgehead, which will become clear in a moment. There's something going on in the lighthouse at the moment, and um, Heather and I have, uh, as we said before, have been doing this leadership development program with Bethel Church over in uh, Redding, California. And what it's all about is this verse. It's, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. It's... um, There are so many ways that our minds keep us captive where we are. You know, when you hear, I mean, wasn't that testimony absolutely amazing? Just amazing that that guy was like, basically they said he was going to die and someone comes in and starts worshipping God and his spirit comes alive and starts joining in, even though he's not a Christian at that stage. I mean, that is incredible. And we're hearing all of these testimonies. Now, if you want to listen to some more of those, if you go to the Lighthouse website now, there's a little plaque on the front which says, I Bethel TV testimonies. And you can just click through and it will bring up the page with all of that free stuff on there. If you want to really encourage yourself and sort of lift your spirits and believe that anything is possible, Anything is possible. You just listen to a few of those things and listen to a few of the stories but, uh, that really, really demonstrate the goodness of God. But <clears throat> in order for us to really break through and access all of that goodness, it, it's all there. It's all available for us. Jesus has paid a price on the cross to enable us to have access to all of the resources of heaven. But somehow or other, we find it quite difficult to get hold of it, don't we? And, you know, I do. I've been a Christian for a long time and have found it quite difficult at times to have faith that when I lay my hands on a sick person that they will get healed, as the Bible says. And what it is about is a process of renewing our minds to get them in line with the way that God thinks. You know, there's a scripture which says, in, Isaiah, in uh, Isaiah 55, yeah. my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. And I think it is like, but that's not his desire. His desire is that his thoughts are our thoughts and his ways are our ways. That's where he wants us to go. He wants us to be walking in such intimate fellowship with him that all of the things that Jesus did when he was walking on the face of the earth, we do, that we have access to them as well. But it comes through a process of renewing your mind. And, you know, uh, I, think when, I think Bill Johnson's first book was um, When Heaven Invades Earth, wasn't it? And, and he's, he's, he really has only got one message that he teaches. It is about 500 hours long. And you get different excerpts of it. But it is all about the presence of God and the kingdom of God invading earth. But one of his later books was called The Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind. And that is what it is all about. I am firmly, firmly convinced that it is the only thing in between us and accessing all the riches of heaven 
is our mind. That is where the battle is, and that is the process that we want to really just continue to push forward in, to allow our minds to be renewed so that in the end we begin to think like he thinks. Okay, so, and in doing so, we're, we're kind of getting alongside. We've looked at the guys over in Bethel, and we're not worshipping them or anything, you know, they're just normal people. But the difference is they've gone somewhere that I want to go. I look at them and I just think, yeah, that's, I want to go there. I want to see some of the things that they're seeing. And so we're doing things like uh, doing this uh, leadership development program. And we're doing it again this year. We're doing uh, step one. We're repeating it in order to really consolidate it in our hearts. I, there were some bits. I got to the end of last year and I thought that was really good and you know, we've had a measure of uh, success and breakthrough in the whole thing. I've got a, a good testimony that's come out of the year of healing and another one of provision. And we've been experiencing the presence of God in a very tangible way all this year. Um, but there's more. There is a lot more. And I think we've, we've just begun to scratch the surface. We've just begun to access some of those things. And so we've decided to go through the whole process. I realized that in doing it, I was being a little bit, um, what's the word? Uh, I, I wasn't buying into all of it. I was a little bit suspicious with, you know, just withholding, keeping, keeping back a bit. And one of the areas, and it's the area I really want to look at today, um, is to do with declarations. There was a significant part of the leadership development program where they say, use these declarations this month. And I thought, we're English. We don't do declarations. You know, we don't, we don't do that sort of thing. That's all very American and uh, anti-cultural and all of this sort of stuff. And, so, and I, I did. I, I sort of gave it lip service and say, yeah, I, I make declarations. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what I wasn't doing was doing it in a very deliberate way. And I had a little epiphany just before Christmas, uh, some of which I've, I've mentioned a little bit already, but I'll refresh it again today, that just led me to believe that there is a huge power in what we deliberately say. Okay? What the conclusions that we come to and the declarations we make for good and for bad. And I want to sort of have a look in that because I feel it will be a significant part of what this year is about for us in, in terms of accessing and moving forward. So what do we got? So the LDP and what we're planning to do this year is as um, Heather and I and a few other guys that have expressed interest to go through the LDP course with us this year, uh, we're going to be looking at these 12 cultural themes that uh, Bethel have found to be very helpful in their journey towards seeing the kingdom of God released amongst them. And um, we've got family, the goodness of God, which is what actually we're focusing on this month. We got our kind of orders a little bit out, but uh, joy and hope, honor, we've spoken about risk and faith, the prophetic, grace and empowerment, valuing his presence, releasing the supernatural, salvation and righteousness, generosity and revelation and the word. And each month this year, we're, we're going to have a focus on one of those themes. So January is our month of focusing on the goodness of God. I mean, hopefully we'll be focusing on the goodness of God all year. But uh, 
Well, what we'd uh, really like to do is to explore it. And we've, we've asked different people to speak at the different meetings. And we've said, can you give it some thought? Can you listen to some of the resources? You know, see what you pick up from them. Can you add in some of the stuff that you're you feel you've had revelation on and stuff and let's really explore these different themes all together so we're, we're doing it um, in actually the LDP course which sort of happens once a month and there's a whole folder you go through with about maybe half a dozen people uh, the small groups are going to start going through it I know Worshiping have got a plan already to break the year up and they've kind of asked people to, uh, to take a lead on each month. And by the way, Rainer, in case you didn't know, you're doing this month and it's uh, next week. So uh, <laughs> you weren't there last time. <laughs> no pressure, though. Um, so the, the, the small groups are doing it, the home groups and uh, different things. You know, and, and people will access it in different ways uh, that, they, that they can. But the end result is that by the end of the year we will have gone through these themes and we will have brought testimonies and we will have reinforced it. And hopefully, as I have found over the last year, I am a bit different than I was at the beginning of last year. Stuff has happened which have, has changed the way that I think. Okay, and let's just go on to explore uh, some of that. Um, the goodness of God, just a few scriptures to throw in to say that I am focusing on the goodness of God because it, really I, I don't necessarily want to teach on this. I, it, that's going to happen a little bit more perhaps uh, as we go through the month. But you know, for me, there, there is no doubt that God is good. I mean, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man that trusts in him. Romans 10:15. The scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. The gospel is good news. Good news for the poor, good news for the sick, good news for the lost, good news for the lonely. It has, it has got very real, tangible answers for people with very real, tangible problems. Okay, And it is not just some kind of ethereal crutch which helps you to get through the difficult times there are real solutions and we've heard some testimonies there of uh, a guy who had a very real problem he was going to lose his legs his legs were going to be amputated he was on death's door and God intervened and rescued him it is good news indeed good news for the poor is that they stop being poor they start becoming a little bit richer perhaps a lot richer and stuff like that. That is what good news is. It is tangible. And uh, God has goodness in him. He has no evil within him. And I think to understand that the goodness of God has to be a very real foundation to everything that we think. If we begin to think that, you know, oh, God sent that horrible circumstances that, uh, to teach me a lesson or whatever, then we will never have the tools or the weapons or the understanding to really counter it and to see the kingdom come. There is no doubt in my mind that when we go through difficult circumstances, that amazing fruit comes out, that there is a refining process that goes on. But I think if you believe that God sent it in the first place, 
you know, like just put yourself, kind of your little children in front of you. Oh, I think I'm going to give him malaria to teach him a lesson. You know, that's really going to make it. It's just not within the heart of even man, is it, to, to be kind of mean like that. There are disciplining processes, yes, but that you wouldn't, like, give them evil and badness in order to teach them a lesson, and neither would God. And this has to be our pillar. This has to be our foundation stone that says from here, when we see someone suffering, there is a mandate from God to say, kingdom of God, come, and to bring the goodness of God into the situation. There has to be a a firm belief that God wants to see people healthy, happy, uh, with food, clothing, and that is his heart. That is his heart. And he has enabled us and given us the tools, the resources in order to be able to go forth and do that. So, Romans 2, 4b, the end part of that verse. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You know, we've had years and years and years of people kind of shaking a big stick and say, unless you say the sinner's prayer, you're going to burn in hell. But actually the Bible talks about the goodness of God leading to repentance. And it is a manifestation of the goodness of God. Like the guy in the testimony, I don't think he probably had any problem about accepting God, accepting Jesus as his saviour after that amazing experience. And there he was standing up to get baptised, wasn't he? He, he, was a, he was like wholeheartedly ready to stand up and be identified um, for Jesus by getting baptised because of what happened, because he had a demonstration of the goodness of God. Hey, 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 hey. Now, here we go. Now, this is me. This is me saying where I'm up to, okay, in the journey. This, uh, I have always had a, a real passion to see the kingdom come in all its fullness. I've read these stories in the New Testament uh, where Jesus goes about healing every sick person that came to him and asked for help. He healed every single one of them. He never turned one away and said, no, no, not your time there. Okay, when people came to him, that where there was a measure of faith that, 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 that he could heal them, he healed them. Healing was drawn from him. Okay, and I have always had a passion to see that. My experience had been like that not a lot happens, actually, that not many people got healed at all. I heard one or two stories, but they were all out there, you know. Now, over this year... Something has happened. Something has happened in me. The out there has invaded in here. Okay? And how can I do uh, a teach on the goodness of God with, without giving testimony to the goodness of God in my life? Okay? And so over this year, um, for those of you who know me, I have, have been suffering with a, a gluten intolerance for a number of years, in excess of 20 years. It was 20 years when I first discovered, when I first sort of 
um, acknowledged that I had a problem and actually went to the doctors, but it had been going a lot longer than that. Um, and, um, but for years and years and years, I never really knew what it was. And it was only like two or three years ago that through just trial and error, really, I suddenly discovered that if I excluded um, wheat products and everything from my diet, suddenly everything came into, into order. I had good digestion, I had energy, I had uh, all that muscle fatigue was going, the um, kind of terrible indigestion and burning that I used to get after I'd eaten, that went. And d there was a number of symptoms, a whole load of kind of bloating and nasty, nasty stuff. It all went. And I was very relieved at the time. I thought, oh, yes, this is good. I can kind of start living again. You know, it's uh, really got to grips. It's a bit of a nuisance having to go on an airplane and get those horrible kind of one-size-fits-all special dietary meals that has no dairy, no wheat, no nothing, no meat, no... It's basically a bit of kind of cardboard, yes. Uh, but... On the whole, I was feeling pretty good. So you, you generally, and, and, and that becomes who you are. And you kind of go along and everything's fine. You carry on living. You say, well, I'm not really ill. I'm, you know, I just have this thing. I just can't eat the, eat the gluten or whatever. And I went, we went along to Bethel at the end of this year. And um, I, I was going along to the healing rooms, really, to see how they worked. I was curious. Bethel had these healing rooms where you can go and receive prayer, and uh, I thought, okay, well, I've got this gluten intolerance thing. I'll go along and I'll fill that out in my form. And I, but I really just wanted to watch. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, I got healed, completely and utterly healed. The, the power of God came on me. There was a joy that was released from inside. And from that moment, I began to eat, you know, anything I wanted, really, and, and it didn't have any effect on me. And... Uh, and I suddenly thought, this has happened to me this time. This isn't out there. This isn't kind of some remote video I'm watching. This is me. Here I am eating this bread roll, which before would have like made me ill and, and could have like laid me out for about three days just from exhaustion and everything. I'm eating it and it's having no effect on me at all. In fact, I feel well. And I would wake up in the morning over in Bethel and I say to Heather, I just feel so well. I feel like I've got energy and um, kind of vitality, which is quite unusual for me, especially in the morning. You know, and this was a release of the goodness of God to me. And it was just amazing. Now, what I've, uh, and there's other things that have happened, which I won't go into the details of, but we had kind of a significant breakthrough towards the end of the year of something again, which had been going on for quite a long time, um, or a few, few years, and uh, to do with provision, which suddenly got sorted out at the end of the year. And suddenly we find ourselves in a, in a different place. Now, I was out for a walk sometime over the, over the uh, Christmas break, and uh, as I was going along, suddenly I, I, I was like becoming aware of these little, little flow of spontaneous thoughts coming in. And it was all to do with a sort of a military sort of strategy, in a way, an army type stuff, you know, about to do with territory. And um, what have we got? <laughs> Who recognizes that picture? 
It was to do with, now, those of you who know that little animation, don't, don't take what happens next, because I think they get forced back, don't they? But, <clears throat> you know, I started getting this word. What I feel has happened is, now, me personally, and I think as a church, this is where we're at. We are establishing a bridgehead into enemy territory. Well, it's not enemy territory. It's actually our territory, but the enemy is occupying it, okay? It is enemy-occupied Europe, if you like, and it's our job to liberate it because it's ours. It is rightfully ours, okay? This, this whole territory of healing, provision, salvation, deliverance, everything that is kingdom is our territory. Jesus has won it for us, okay? But at the moment, it's occupied. And for a lot of my life, I have been living back over here in the safety of old Blighty, okay, behind the, uh, behind the channel, and just saying, well, we're okay, we're okay here, you know, it's like, it's okay, he's got all of that out there, but we're all, we're all right in here. Um, but so, something happened to me which said, I really want that, I really want the rest of this thing, and I believe it is ours, so come on, let's push forward. And I believe like we've set foot in the promised land, as it were, we've We've got there. Now, what happens in a military campaign? When an army reaches something, a barrier, like a river or a sea or something, and it has to go over, it's actually quite a tricky thing to do because you've not only got to focus on getting over the thing, but once you're there, you know, there's the enemy kind of taking pop shots at you and everything. And what has to be done is they have to establish a bridgehead in the land. Now, what that physically means is that they get over there and they say, oh, yeah, here's, here's the land and everything. It's good. There's good stuff in it. But at the moment, it's under the control of the enemy. So what you have to do is to begin to push the enemy back. Now, OK, I'm going to put my hand up here and say it has not been a plain ride, this healing thing, because actually about three weeks after um, I received that healing. I began to feel discomfort. I began to feel some pain. I began to feel a bit of muscle fatigue. I began to feel various things. Now, in my mind, I started to think, ah, oh, that's that. That's that thing coming back. And, and I even got to the point, I was trying to be very careful about what I said um, because, you know, I really did not want to lose it. But I, I began in my, in my thoughts to think, oh, perhaps I'd better go back on the diet because I don't want to spend the whole of this year ill. I really don't want to go back to where I was and, you know, and just be eating stuff, but actually all the time feeling completely ill. And maybe I've, maybe, oh, maybe this is all about integrity. Perhaps I've just got to come clean about this thing or whatever. And, um, and these thoughts were going through my mind. You see what I mean about a battle in the mind? That's where it all happens, okay? And um, I began to think, no, hang on a minute. I, I know this voice. And there was all these kind of military kind of slogans coming, you know, like, know your enemy. And, uh, and I thought, that's the enemy. That's the enemy that's speaking to me. He's saying, ah, that you, you didn't really get healed. You actually, it was just kind of like a moment of euphoria and you got a little bit better and now, now you're back where you really belong. Okay. And I thought, no, 
Something happened over there which was very tangible and very clear. Okay, I don't care what's happening now, but something happened then. That is something which I can hang my hat on and say, right, God is good. He released healing to me. And therefore, I'm not going to accept this. And so I began to do a thought process, right, to, to try and kind of um, sort of uh, take the power out of what the enemy was suggesting to me. Okay, so I began to think, okay, I've, I've got a little bit of a tummy thing. Oh, well, maybe there's a virus going around. Perhaps there's a cold virus, because a few people had had, like, some tummy things going around, and uh, muscles were aching. I thought, oh, perhaps a little bit of the flu or something. I don't know. It's, but, but it's not that in my mind. It, it is not gluten intolerance, that I said. And I began to push through, and I began to declare. I began to say, I am healed. I can eat all things God has given me all things to richly enjoy. I began to be sort of quite deliberate in the things that I was declaring. And you know what? I've come through. I've come through. And when did we go? It was like the end of... Yeah, right at the beginning of November. So November, December, January. So we're getting into sort of three months now since I was there. And I am well. I was at... The blessed party last night, which was a complete gluten fest. <laughs> Apart from the sort of shredded carrots, that was it. There was gluten or nothing. And I just had everything. I had everything. It was, and I am well. I am well in my body, okay? I have come through that. I have not got the associated symptoms. And Right, so I have personally taken some territory there. And there's been a little bit of a skirmish on the beach as we've got up. But I am there now, okay, and I feel like I've got myself into a reasonably secure position in it, a position I can defend. I know what's happened. I know what's happened in my body. I am assured of it. I have declared it. And I am now using the weapons that God has given me to defend that position. Now, in our bridgehead, in establishing this bridgehead, in a military operation, the next thing they do is for those persons to begin to defend the beach while other people start to land. We need troops. We need troops to come over. We need equipment to come over. We need the tanks. We need the landing craft. We need the people to begin to totally secure that bit of beach and to, for us to really say, this is our territory. Okay? Healing belongs to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's where we're at. We need to start bringing in equipment, supplies, troops and weapons. What are our weapons? Well, the Bible's very clear about what our weapons is. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And for a battle that is going on in the mind, which is where all of these battles go on, go on to do with healing, provision, miracles, any of those things, they all go on in the mind. The, um, is it 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And it is all about taking captive every thought. That's in that same scripture there, okay? The battles that we wage against the enemy are in the mind. And that is where we have got to begin to use the word of God 
And also the second thing, the promises of God. There is the written word of God and there is the alive prophetic now word of God, which gets released to us. And um, so, for example, I mean, the, the, uh, as we begin to establish this beachhead, we have had certain promises as individuals and churches about healing being released in this church. And so we use that as a weapon now and say God has declared that this church will be a church where healing breaks out in an amazing way. In such an amazing way, it's going to be like a well that's springing up amongst us. And when that well springs up, there's going to be so many people coming towards it. Can you imagine if like, people start getting healed of cancer and of incurable diseases and word got out, it got out into the public, people would come, wouldn't they? People would come, people would come to see and taste of the goodness of God. So we use them, the word of God, the Bible, and the promises of God are prophetic words that have been spoken as weapons, and we begin to speak them out. Okay? Now, speaking out, that's, this was another, this was another little slogan. These little things were coming to me. Careless talk costs lives. And you know, it does. Now, this is the main point of what I want to say today, really. I mean, all of the other things are demonstrating the goodness of God, but there is something in our declarations. Now, I don't know what you thought when the declaration went up in and around the uh, offering thing. Um, Some of you might have thought, oh, yeah, it's a declaration time. Let's do this. And others may have thought, oh, no, here's another thing we're being made to do, you know, and kind of rather resentfully got up and, did it? And some of you may have thought, well, I'm not doing that. I, you know, I'm not doing it just because someone told me to do it. But I have come to realize there is enormous power in what we declare. Now, declare is more than what we just say. Okay? Saying things is one thing. Declaring things has an essence of purposefulness about it. It is, it is like... For example, you know, say, say like we say, okay, I'm feeling a bit shivery today. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. That is just, that's kind of something. I've got a, I'm feeling like a, there's a little bit of a sore throat or something. I'm feeling a bit shivery. That is just information. And it's okay to talk to you. You haven't got to kind of get paranoid about actually saying things to each other and say, oh, I mustn't have a negative confession or anything like that. The problem comes when you say, I'm going down with a cold. Do you see the difference in the information and the declaration? The information is sort of like, it's an observation of what's happening. But the declaration is you have drawn your own conclusion from it. And you said, I'm going down with a cold. And who knows, probably next minute you'll go down with a cold. Because there is a power in the declaration. Okay? Now, that's a, that's a good one where careless talk costs lives um, when, we, when we talk like that. I mentioned the other week that, you know, we have, uh, for a while, I think believed, okay, that negative words can have a major effect on our lives. The, the words that are spoken over us by our parents when we're babies, you know, um, d- different things where we've received um, 
sort of ungodly beliefs because of things that have been spoken over to us in our formative years or at, at very sort of crucial moments, you know, like a, um, perhaps a, a parent saying over a child, you stupid child, you know, uh, that there is something that is received. That, that is a declaration, okay, that is made uh, or you're just like your father or something in a negative way or, or whatever or you're, you know, all of these things that, that kind of trip off the tongue in a little way and when we get cross and when we get a bit frustrated but that can actually have quite a long-term effect on how we perceive ourselves and, and we believe it because we spend good money going on things like RTF, Restoring the Foundations and um, the Sanford's Ministries and encounter weekends and all of these different things in order to get people to pray into them so there a declaration has dramatically altered the course of someone's life to the negative okay and we have to then go in pray into it we have to kind of break the power of those words that were spoken over and we have to replace it by some godly belief you know, you're not stupid. God's given you wisdom, you know, the wisdom of Solomon or whatever. And, and that's a process that we go to. But we've never really embraced the fact that through deliberate declarations over ourselves, over our children, over our circumstances, we can dramatically alter the course of our lives. Okay? Let's have a look. This is kind of a key scripture in it, in a way. Deliberate in our speech, James 3, 2 to 6. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Oh, yes, we do. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And I think it's a great picture, the rudder and the ship. It's a tiny little bit, and it will steer. Now, in this James passage, it is talking about negative words, okay, that, was, that have been spoken, and it's telling us to be careful and control our tongue. But as we began to think about that, we think, well, wait a minute, if it's a rudder that's steering, well, let's use it to steer the ship where we want to go. Where do you want to go in your life? What do you want to happen this year? What do you want to see happen sort of in the next five years, in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your business? What do you want to see happen? And maybe the answer is, oh, you know, I don't really care. Uh, well, okay. But if you do care, if you really want to see some of these things happening then we need to get a pattern of deliberate declarations, not just in a corporate sense like this, not just in church, but getting into a habit of doing it in our own lives on a daily basis and to actually use the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.20, we've read this one before. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, it's not can't come much clearer than that. It is a powerful thing, our tongue, and we need to use it. Death and life, good and bad, 
okay and we understand the bad we understand it and we say oh control it zip it don't say anything you know if you can't say anything good don't say anything at all and we've got that bit but why not say something good why not deliberately begin to declare if the situations you see that you don't think are fitting in the way they should begin to make declarations over them in Romans 4 it talks about God being a God who calls things which are not as though they were he he's a God who calls things which do not exist as though they did okay it's kind of weird it's like saying you're a chair suddenly the chair appears it's like it's something that which isn't there it's actually lying okay you're a chair well you're not a chair you're a bit of air but in saying it it actually comes about okay god is a god who calls things which are not as though they were things which do not exist as though they did he is a god who creates things by the power of his words he has created us in his image we have that same innate power that's why it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit I mean, all through the Old Testament particularly, you know, the nation of Israel understood the power of blessing. They understood the power of proclaiming words over children and over the firstborn and all of this sort of stuff. And so much so that they would actually go to great lengths. You know, you think of um, Esau and Jacob. Yeah, who Jacob was the swindler who managed to get Esau's blessing out of his father um, because he understood that it would actually affect his life it would dramatically alter his his uh, direction in life okay it has power we need to grab hold of that and instead of just resisting as I did all last year in LDP of saying I'm not doing that you know or just giving it slight lip service and trying to do it in a in a covert way I think we need to embrace it as part of who we are. God has given us death and life in the power of our tongue. And we need to start harnessing it and controlling it in order to see some good stuff start to happen. It's one of the weapons, the tools that he's given us. Mark 11:23. For assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes the things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Okay, it's just, I just put that up there for effect. It says, says three times in there. It doesn't say think, it doesn't, it does got believe in there, so you have, that has to be combined with some belief and everything, but there is power in the spoken word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and again, this is me saying, hearing is, is something which is like an audible thing, isn't it? And I, I, I just believe that there is something as we begin to declare things, as I get up in the morning and say, I am healthy, I have energy. I hear it, that kind of my vocal cords begin to... Uh, produce a sound which then goes back into my ear and into my spirit in a way you know when um, I think it was God speaking to um, Joshua when he was like giving him instructions about taking over from Moses he says 
meditate in this book day and night, the book of the law, and be sure to do everything that's in it, because if you do, then you'll be prosperous, you'll be successful, you will, you know, everything will go well for you. Well, the word meditate in there means to mutter. And if you see uh, kind of some Jewish people when they're reading quite when they're reading the scriptures quite often they're reading them out loud they're kind of just reading them again and again and again and then kind of muttering them out because it goes out and comes back in and begins to affect your spirit there is something that happens through a declaration you begin to believe it begins to change the way you think here's a here's a classic case of where some people made a bad declaration, okay? This is when the spies were sent into the promised land and uh, they went in and they kind of sussed it all out and they came back and told Moses, I think it was. Uh, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this, and, uh, this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites, the blah 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 all of those people. Caleb quieted the people for Moses and said, let us go up once and take this possession. Okay, two different confessions going on. One is saying from the ten spies or whoever it was, they're saying there was all these giants, there was um, all of this stuff going in Caleb comes out with a positive confession and says let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it now there's a declaration that begins to do something in you straight away but the men had gone with him saying we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we do you see the difference in the in there about the information and the declaration they came back with information. Okay, there's giants in the land. There's this nation. There's that nation. There's all of that. But here, they've come up with their own conclusion. They have made a purposeful declaration. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they'd spied out, saying the land which uh, we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw of it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, who came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. You know, there is something about their declaration that they have made where they became their declaration. We were grasshoppers in our own sight and in their sight. As they make the declaration, they became what they said. Now, Caleb and Joshua went in and said, let's go up and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Okay, both saw the same thing. Both saw the same giants, saw the same fruit. And they, but one said, we are able. The other said, we are not able. And who went in and took it? Joshua and Caleb went in and they took it. All of the rest died off in the process. They, they did not receive well, they did receive the fruit of their lips, which was that they were not able to do it. But only Joshua and Caleb were able to actually go through and see that. So there's a lot of power in this, okay? This is another military bit. This is where I was kind of running out of steam. But <coughs> I wanted to put this in. 
Chris, there's a there's a YouTube thing on the thing there. I, I just wanted to play this. This is a prophecy um, from a guy that we've followed a little bit throughout the years called Bob Jones and Rick Joyner. And um, yeah, let's just just play it a minute. Just send it back to the beginning. Yeah, right to the beginning.
and the Mayan calendar is not his calendar. Okay. The, uh, but, you know, Paul talked about how certain false prophets were prophesying things against the Cretans. He said, they're right. Even the false prophets can get some things right. You know, according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends in 2012. And in a sense, I believe they're right. But it's not the end of the world. It's going to, the world as we know it yes. is going to end. There is radical change coming on the earth. Radical and profound change. But it's a new beginning. It's not the end of the world. No. They just could not see into what God was doing. That's why that was the limit of what they could see was 2012. Wait for God to start taking over in 2012. Not any of you are born loving. You learn to love. You can get so busy working for God instead of working with Him that you lose sight of who He is. You can get your ambition and everything working and start building. Well, you're building for destruction unless you build it on the foundation of love. This is a warning to them. And I wouldn't be surprised as a warning that the candlestick in some of the great churches that we think of as great all of a sudden is removed. And all they will have is teaching. So, I wouldn't want I want a little, I want a little something that's they got the Holy Spirit in it for me. And teaching is not going to get it because without love it's not going to work. Because the church that has the love, I believe is going to be fine. He spoke this to me. He said, this is a year of three steps forward and one step back. And I'm wondering what that one step was. If you study the Church of Ephesus twice, it called them to repent because they lost their. If we become critical of one another, we've lost our love for one another. If we become judgment, we've lost our love. So those that find again their first love as it was in the beginning. That one step backward, I believe, is repentance. Repentance for anything that we even put close to God. Sometimes we make circumstances more important than God is in our life. Boy, this is a year you don't want that. Because if it isn't love, it isn't God. If those, those churches that survived this, uh, God is a consuming fire. Those churches that draw close to Him this year and survive and come in, I mean, I think even the best of us, there's places in our lives that we need to repent of. Doubt, unbelief, questioning. Anything that isn't the faith and isn't the hope, 
faith, hope, and charity. Uh, I think it's time that we get rid of that junk. And we begin to believe who he says he is. And he will be a rewarder of those who believe. So, the pattern churches, those that are the best, he's going to draw them close into his heart. And once he does, and those who survive, he'll be able to come into his presence over and over and over. Because he wants a place prepared for him so he can move in. Ephesians 2.22. It's going to be built on his government. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's going to be a temple of living stone, Ephesians 6, 22, 21, so that he can cohabitate with us in his spirit. Have you any idea what would happen if the Father moved into a church? There would be no disease. Christians, there'd be no dying. There'd be no growing old. of that is beyond imagination. In a place that you can come into his presence, this is the year I believe he starts that. The only way you can really grow up, as far as I can tell, is learning to love. It's something you've got to do. Your place in heaven depends on how much you learn to love. I would spend more time making love for the Lord than I would working for Him. Because in that intimacy that I believe is going to begin to come now, because this this 50-year jubilee that's taking place is going to burn out a lot of things, but there's going to be a lot of things that it parts to, which is the mind of Christ and new inventions. New ways of doing things. I believe you're talking about the wealth will come to where the understanding is. If you've got understanding, if the Holy Spirit gives you understanding of the stock market for five days, you'd own the stock market. In five days, you could bankrupt the stock market. You'd own it all. Well, I'm talking about that kind of stuff being given. Inventions. Revelation to those that love. This year is the year of the man in Ezekiel, the first chapter. And the man is starting to step out into the nations. So this is when some of you are going to be called to go to the nations. In 2013, I believe, begins. Uh, Rick is speaking about our second harvest in his book. I believe it's the beginning in 2013. You got anything to add to that? You know, I, I don't have a clear timing on it, but I know it's imminent. I felt like we were going to start to see it in 2012. Yeah. And, and after that, you know, the first wave I saw lasted about 15 or 16 years. 
I believe 2012, we're going to start to see it, see it's upon us. 2013, it really could be the beginning of that wave. It could be 2012, but I, I feel Bob's right. I feel like we're within just a short time of the beginning of the greatest harvest that has ever been on the earth. Okay. I said, he's an old guy, Bob Jones, so it's a little bit kind of rambling over the place and everything. But the point that I wanted to draw out of it was that this whole thing about the church and having love within the church. And when we were at Worship Inc. the other night, as we were taking communion together, I felt like the Lord say to me that we are to minister to him. We are to kind of worship and bless him and he will sort of download to us everything that we need to see all of these things go forward. But that's the way that it is. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our strength, our mind, and we love each other as ourselves, if this begins to get established, it w there will be this wisdom that comes down that he's talking about. And some of you have heard that know. That's what I've like, been talking about for a while now, this wisdom to see the wealth of the uh, unrighteous turned over to the godly and all of this sort of stuff so but intelligence in, in establishing those bridgeheads is very crucial and i think there's no doubt that uh, 2012 is a well spoken of year and many many people have prophesied and said it's a time and of course the mayans that he was talking about if we've seen the film 2012 it kind of predicted the end of the world well we don't, we don't believe that. We believe there's a lot more stuff to happen as yet. And uh, really, this is the same. And, and some of the other stuff will be going on through the year um, is like with the culture of honor and it, they're coming out on different themes. But really, we do need to move together as, as an army, as one. And we need to have that honor for one another. If we're off doing our own thing, if we go off and say, no, I'm going to just go off by myself or whatever, it, it's a dangerous place to be in an army, in a military situation. The best place to be is in with the army. And I'm thinking of the, uh, the, the little clip in, um, um, what's the film? Where the Gladiator, where they're in the, in the Colosseum, you know, and, the, and he says, if we stay together, We've got a good chance of surviving this. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a, a good thing there that if we stay together, we've got a good chance of, of just sending the enemy packing. Anyway, that's, that's it. That's the... Uh, as some Heather would like to sum up, I think. Thank you. Well done.